Well, good morning to you all. I wanted to start by telling you a little bit about uh, a couple years ago in, uh, at Christmas time, I was in another unique situation. And uh, I had known Hannah for five months. We had been dating for about five months, and we were actually thinking about getting engaged, doing the whole ring shopping thing, which uh, for those of you who have done this, you know that it is a challenge and a unique situation in and of itself trying to find the ring that you're going to give your wife. But, you know, that being truly unique is not necessarily the fullness of the unique situation that I found myself in. My, uh, my family was all in one place for Christmas, and that is a very unique situation. Uh, I don't know if you know this about me. I have two brothers. I'm the youngest of, of three, and uh, I was born in San Diego, California. And... Uh, when I was two, my parents divorced, and uh, unfortunately, my dad was not a major part of my childhood from, uh, from that point forward. Until I was about 10, I started really forming a relationship with my dad, spending summers with him, and uh, that, even to this day, is really the foundation of our relationship. And, you know, as, as, you, as you grow up, you get older, your, your brothers, they fall into their place in life, and they, everybody just kind of seems to scatter in the family, and you don't end up really being... Uh, together as much anymore. And so this was really unique. My brother Jordan and his wife Charlotte, they live in Hawaii, and they came over to Colorado to be with us for Christmas. Uh, I was there, my mom was there, my other brother Adam lives in Colorado as well. And then interestingly enough, my dad, uh, who remarried years ago, his wife, my stepmother, has kids in the Colorado and Wyoming area as well. And, um, And so they were in Colorado for Christmas, too. And we found ourselves in the same house. Uh, you know, my dad, my stepmom, her kids, my stepbrothers, uh, my brothers, my mom. It was this amazing thing, you know. And, and beyond the obvious opportunities for conflict and argument, it was actually a very good time. Uh, it was special. So, uh, you know, I don't know if, if you guys have big family gatherings. It was unique for me. But even further than that, the, the unique thing about this Christmas in particular, so I probably got the worst gift I've ever received in my life. And I actually, I brought it with me. (laughs) I wanted to share this with you. I got it from my dad, and it's one of those gifts, when I opened it, I thought um, immediately, this must be a joke. And uh, I was so confident in it, in fact, that I said, you're kidding, right when I opened it. And it was up until that moment that I thought it was a joke. And right when I let those words out of my mouth, I realized that it was not a joke indeed. I had to change my, you're kidding, into, oh, you're kidding, this is beautiful, I love this. (laughs) You know. (laughs) And so I I wanted to share this with you. Anybody who knows, this is totally and completely separate from me. I mean, I don't know why he got this for me. Anybody who knows me knows I would not like this. So here it is. This is a ceramic bear statue. <laughs> You're kidding, right? Right? It's beautiful. Oh, I love it. I, I don't know what he was thinking. I mean, maybe it was the whole barefoot. My last name's Barefoot. And so there's bears, but it's bear-like naked, not bear-like raw. And so I just wonder what he was thinking. I don't get it. We'll set this right here, and it'll stare at you, Scott Huck. And I don't want to pick on my dad. God bless him. I'm really glad that he's in my life. And uh, that was indeed worse than the yellow sweater I got the year before. And so, but Hannah, actually, you know, when, when you don't know somebody really well, two weeks after we met, she went on a missions trip. And uh, she went to Mongolia. 
And I was convinced upon her return she was going to break up with me because that's what you do when you come home from missions trips. You break up with somebody. <laughs> I know that's, I did it. I mean, I, and you hear a story. Come on, who hasn't heard a story of that happening? So she comes back and she didn't break up with me. In fact, she brought me a gift. And this is another one of those where I was really pleased because it meant she wanted to be with me. But I was like, hmm, as well. I, I couldn't blame her because she didn't know me. So... Um, I, again, don't like knickknacks, and this is a knife. I, I can't even say that I like knives, really, or guns. I'm just not that guy. This is a knife. It's, it's got carvings all over it. It's like something you'd kill something on an altar with, really. But Thank you, sweetie. This little show and tell. But... I, have you ever gotten gifts like these that, are, that when you open them, you're just like, what is, hmm, that's great. Maybe not exactly what you were expecting. Or, or even worse yet, have you ever been the person that gives the gift and right when they open it, you're like, oh, they, they weren't expecting, they were expecting something different. Well, I, I think it's interesting because uh, worship, in, in, the, in the subject of worship, which is what we're going to be talking about today, it's so... I think there are a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings and everybody has all these own thoughts about it based on their own experience and and what they've read in the Bible. And uh, I think any sort of thought towards worship that can help us to get on the same page would be be time well spent. And, you know, how that connects with the gift, I I just wonder what God wants from us. Like, why has he deemed this such an important topic? And so today we're going to look at kind of the why of worship, the importance of worship. And then a couple weeks from now, we're going to also look at um, kind of what, what does God want from us in worship? You know, what's the gift that we bring? And so as we enter into this conversation together, uh, I want to ask us to pray. And I would love it if you would pray for me because I've never done this before. So uh, I would love your support in that, that God would speak through me, that he would use me this morning. And I will pray for you that, uh, that your ears would be open, that your hearts and your minds would be open, that uh, ultimately God would show himself to all of us through this. So let's, let's pray together. God, I'm really grateful for uh, who you are, for the love that you express to us, for all you have done in drawing us to yourself. Indeed, for all you've done to bring us to this point, this place where we're at this morning. And uh, this morning we ask that you would just show yourself and show your, your intentions and your purpose for us and for why we come to you in worship. Give us hearts uh, and minds and ears that would be open to you. Lord, I ask that you would guard my tongue and my thoughts this morning, that I would not uh, speak something that is not true of you and your will. Amen. Well, here's the deal. If you, if you like to take notes, then, then I want to give you the whole morning right here so you can write this down in big block letters. Uh, and it's, it's, it's the importance of worship. And, and I want to submit that worship is, okay, and this isn't a worship is blank statement. I want it to be worship and then big capital I and big capital S, okay? Uh, it is. It, I think to follow up worship with a word like important or is a priority or worship is one of the seven basic foundations of the Christian life, uh, I think all those would fall short in describing what worship actually is. And uh, it, it is important. It is of huge importance. It is priority. It is 
I, I think as we'll look this morning, it is the priority for the life of the Christian, not just one of the seven. It is the priority. It is. It's like in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, as Kent encourages us to call them, they, uh, you know, the Lord was referred to as I am. He called himself I am. And I think to follow in the, the case with God, I am with anything would fall short, completely short in describing who God is. You could say I am awesome, but he is infinitely more awesome than the word awesome. He could say I am great, I am mystery, I am anything following it would actually fall short in describing God because God cannot completely be described by language, by words. He is outside of that. And I think that's similar here in this case of worship. And I want to say that worship is. It is huge. It is the priority. And uh, the second piece of that is that God is at the center. Worship is and God is at the center of our worship. And uh, as, we, as we look at Scripture, even back to the beginning... You can think back to uh, the Israelites being in captivity. And they're, they're, they're in slavery and oppression under the Egyptians. And one day Moses uh, is confronted by God. God comes to Moses and he says, I want to lead my people out of slavery. I want to lead them out of the oppressive hand of the Egyptians. And I want you to go tell Pharaoh that, you know, that I'm going to use you to lead my people out of slavery, out of captivity. And I want you to tell him that I'm going to do that so that they may worship me. God's primary motivation in leading his people out of, out of slavery, forming them into a people that could be his own, he, he says, is that they may worship me. And so Moses does. He goes and tells Pharaoh, and God rescues his people. He, re, he, he leads them out of slavery uh, with mighty acts, with miracles, you know, plagues on the Egyptians. He parts the huge body of water and the Israelites pass through. The Egyptians are swallowed up. Um, God rescues his people that they may worship him. And they get into this place. God's leading them to the promised land, right? And they're not there yet. They're in the desert still. And they come to this mountain, the Mount, uh, Mount Sinai. And God goes, or Moses goes up to the top of the mountain to meet with God. All the Israelites stay down at the foot of the hill. And in that place... God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. These are the ten rules that they are going to place at the, beginning, or at the core of their community. This is how they're going to live their lives. This is going to guide them. And the first three rules, the first three commandments that he gives to Moses, all deal with worshiping God. You will have no other gods before me. You will not bow down to any idols. And you will not take my name in vain, which means you will not misuse my name. Do not make it commonplace. Do not empty it of its meaning. It's like the, the modern-day love. We love a lot of things. I love tacos. And uh, Scott loves his BMW. I don't actually know that. I, just, I love your BMW. It's awesome. <laughs> you know, we love hardwood floors. We love... Uh, colored paint on our walls. We love microphones. We love lamp. We love couch. We love so many things. And in the very next breath, we say, well, I love my wife, you know, or I love God. And somewhere in there, there's a disconnect. We've made the word love a common word, emptied of its true meaning. I shouldn't dare breathe, I love tacos and I love my wife in the same breath. I shouldn't even say I love tacos, honestly. I feel that. Because I'm either saying I love tacos as much as I love my wife, or I love my wife as much as I love tacos, which 
they're good, but I don't love them. Do not make my name commonplace. Do not have idols before me. Do not, there will be no other God before me. God is using his first three commandments to say, you will worship me, you will worship me alone, uh, you will hold me in high regard. And in that very same meeting with Moses, God gives him these specific instructions for the tabernacle, right? The tabernacle is going to be the, the Israelites' place of worship as they wander in the desert, as they set up camp. It, he gave him very specific instructions on what to use, the materials to use, on how to set it up, exactly how to set the camp up. And this, to me, when, when I look at this, this is a beautiful picture I think that God gives us of the importance of worship in our lives. He tells, there's 12, there's 12 tribes, right, in, in the Israelites being led out, being led to the promised land. And he says, I want you to divide up your tribes evenly. Take three tribes and place them to the north. I want you to take three tribes and place them to the south, three to the west, three to the east. And in the very center of your tribes, in the very center of your community, I want you to set up the tabernacle. I want you to set up the place where you will worship me. And the tabernacle is these three layers of, of tent, of area. And the center one is the Holy of Holies, and it's the actual dwelling place of God. How beautiful is this, that, that God gives us a metaphor, a picture of how he wants us to set up our lives with his presence and with his worship at the center of it all. It's, uh, it's kind of touching me. And this... Everything in their life was to evolve around the presence and the worship of God. And this theme of worship being the center, of worship being the priority, worship being the absolute core of their lives, it doesn't just stop in the Old Testament. It's not just how he, he, he sets it up and then never addresses it again. You know, fast forward, Christ comes, Christ dies, Christ rises again, Christ descends into heaven. And Peter, in, uh, in his first epistle, originally titled First Peter, which is not real original, I guess. He says this, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, starting in verse 9, says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may... Now those three words, that you may, they set up what's coming and they define what came before. It says, uh, you're a chosen people, that you may, a royal priesthood, that you may, a holy nation, that you may, you're a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy, that you may declare the praises of God, that you may worship God, that you may live with his glory at the center of your lives. I mean, it goes straight into the New Testament. The last, the last book of the Bible of the New Testament is Revelation, and it gives all these pictures of heaven and all the picture of the activity in heaven, and the primary activity in all those pictures is worship with God at the center. God is, is trying to tell us that the worship of him, his glory, is, is core Worship is, and God is at the center. I think this would be a good point to talk about maybe a definition of maybe what worship is. In, in worship, we come into the presence of God, uh, and we respond to him on the basis of who he is, on the basis of what he has done, and on the basis and the hope of what he yet will do. Worship, we come into the presence of God, we respond, respond being the operative word, we respond to him on the basis of who he is. The primary reason 
for us to be here today. The primary reason for church attendance, for us to gather together, is not to gain a sense of peace, though we most definitely will gain peace. The primary reason is not to be healed, though we will indeed experience God's healing. It is not to see our friends, whom we have not seen for a little more than five days, but we will indeed see them and connect with them. The primary reason for church attendance is not to gain wisdom or wit or more facts about the Bible. It is not to learn good moral principles to institute into our lives, though we will indeed receive the mind of God. It is not to soothe ourselves or calm our spirits. It's not to relax and watch a program. The primary reason that we come together week after week, whether we want to or feel like it, is to bring our gift, to join in, to actively participate, to bring our offering of worship, which belongs to God alone. Let that sink in to your heart this morning. Our primary reason, nothing else other than to come and to worship God, to bring our gift of honor, praise, of worship to the Lord. Worship is based within the glory and beauty of God. It is based in His story. Again, it's who He is and what He has done. Do you ever find yourself tempted to focus on something else in worship? It could be a million, million things. Maybe it's whatever you think your needs are. Or maybe it's what you think, or how you think the service could better serve you. You know, if only the preacher would say this more. If only the worship would use this kind of music or that kind of volume. Or if only things would look this certain way. You know, there are a billion things that we could focus on other than God. And these things, when we choose to focus on them, begin to nudge and they begin to push God out of the center of our experience, the center of our purpose. And it's, and it's not to say that there are legitimate distractions in worship that, you know, when we find them, we need to remove them. I mean, that's, that's definitely true. We need, to, we need to do our best to remove the distractions. But some of us, from the time we get up on Sunday morning, are set on focusing on other things, things other than the glory of God. And it's an easy thing to fall into. I think it's something that we can all relate to. It's easy to lose our focus. It's easy to forget our purpose for being here. Even good things can be distractions. A conversation with a friend, you know. A Starbucks latte on the way to church, you know. All can, and I love Starbucks. I'm not down in Starbucks here. But they can all be things that get in the way. They can all be things that postpone our engagement, that, uh, that hold us out from coming in here and really experiencing God if we're focusing on those things more than we're focusing on coming and worshiping and experience the Lord. When we put our own experiences, our own needs, any of these kind of distractions in the center of worship, we totally and completely miss the point of it. Let me stop and say that I believe that God wants us to come to him with our needs that God wants us to come to him with our woundedness, with our desire for peace. I think those are all things that God wants to bring about in us. I, I'm not against those things either. But I think that too often that grows into the focus of our relationship with God. Anybody seen the movie What About Bob? It's a great movie. And uh, Bob is this neurotic uh, guy who thinks he has all sorts of stuff. You know, I can't remember any of them in the moment here, but they're funny. Spastic bladder, I think, was one of them. <laughs> I don't remember. It's funny. His doctor, his psychiatrist, Dr. Leo Marvin, goes on vacation, and Bob just can't deal with this, and he goes into a fit because he needs to hear the words that 
you know, Dr. Marvin needs to say to him about calming him down, about telling him that he doesn't have all these things that he thinks he has. And he tracks him down to his vacation home in Lake Winnipesaukee. And uh, upon finding Dr. Leo Marvin, he walks up to him and he says, Oh, gimme, 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 I need, I need, I need. I'm doing the work, I'm baby-stepping. You know, that, that could be our experience in worship, you know. I need, I need, I need, gimme, gimme, gimme. Rather than I give, I give, I give. You are great, you are great, you are great. Or think of it this way. I've known people with an uncle or a brother or a sister, and it's usually the one that the family doesn't like to talk about. You know, maybe you have one of those in your family. Maybe you are one of those in your family. I, don't know. I hope not. But that is constantly in need, right? And always calling on the other members of the family, just constantly you know, in need of things, always in trouble, always needing bailed out, and you can almost see it, you can almost hear it, right? The phone rings, and the family member walks over to the caller ID box and looks down and says, Uncle so-and-so. And you can almost hear them say, oh, what does he want this time, right? What does he want this time? The family members don't often feel like the uncle actually wants to be with them, uh, that there's no sense that he wants to come in and sit down and be family, that he just wants, wants, wants. I need, I need, I need. Gimme, gimme, gimme. And I wonder sometimes if God feels that way with our motives for entering into worship or coming to church, you know, that there's oftentimes we're in danger of really just focusing on our own junk and our own needs and the things that we want to see happen rather than looking at worship as this opportunity to enter into the presence of God as a community, you know, and experience Him and bring something to Him. Worship with something other than God at the center is not good. The Lord calls this idolatry. The word of the Lord says, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You will have no other gods before me. A huge portion of the Hebrew scriptures are dealing with this issue of the Israelites constantly pursuing other gods. I mean, God had led them out of, out of Egypt, out of the oppressive hand of slavery, you know, with mighty acts and miracles. And, and Moses is up on the mountain getting instructions for worship, uh, instructions for the tabernacle, how God wanted to dwell with his people. He wanted to be in their midst. The Almighty God who created everything wanted to be in the midst of his people at the core of their community. And they're at the foot of the hill building other gods, building idols. You know, Aaron went around and collected jewelry and precious metals and formed gods out of them. Which seems really weird to me because... We make things all the time, but we wouldn't think about bowing down to them. But, I mean, that's their issue back then, and we have different gods that we form in this day. You'll have no other gods before me. Humanity has had a great problem with this from the beginning, placing our own wants and our own needs uh, at the center of our existence and putting our trust in other gods that bring the quick fix, the momentary satisfaction, but don't bring the full satisfaction that comes from knowing God. And I believe that God is calling us to be satisfied in him. I believe that us experiencing the glory of God goes hand in hand with us being fully and completely satisfied in God. It's the idea that if we are fully satisfied in God, that is when he will be most glorified in us, in our lives. You know, When we are most satisfied, when we are experiencing God in our lives in those place of trust, you know, in the, in the place where we where we need to see him move and act and be himself, that's the place where we're going to come together and we're going to truly celebrate his name and his works and his character. The worship of God goes hand in hand with finding our satisfaction in him. 
Uh, I think about if I experience a great meal, you know, I go to a great restaurant. I want to tell the world about it. I want to tell my friends when I call them on the phone from back in Colorado. I want to say, man, I love the restaurants out here. I had this great Indian food the other night, and it was so good, and it killed me internally, but it was awesome. You know, there's something about experiencing something really good. It did kill me internally. That makes us want to speak about it. It makes us want to tell something about it, you know, to proclaim its glory, its goodness. I mean, we're meant to be this. This is how we're meant to operate. It's ingrained in us. It's written on our hearts. You know, how much more than if we're truly seeking to be satisfied in God, if we're truly feasting on his life, you know, and his flesh and his blood, if we're seeking to be satisfied in him, how much more will we proclaim the greatness of God? How much more will we be excited? How much more will his glory be revealed in us? The, the scriptures say, taste and see that the Lord is good. I think that's God calling us into himself. And I hope that you're not hearing this morning the voice of uh, the accuser saying that you're not good enough, that you're falling short. You just can't do it. You're not good enough. Because God says, you can't do it. I know. Come to me. Let me do it in you. You aren't strong enough. I know. Come to me and let me be strong in you. You're falling short. I know. Come to me and I will bring this about in you. You're not good enough. Well, guess what? I say that you are. Because I love you. Because I died for you. And if you would only trust that I've brought you into my very presence as my friend. Come to me. Come to me. Be satisfied in me. Taste and see that I am good. And at that place, the place where we begin to experience all that God is, we begin to know that he is good. And that's the place where worship begins, I believe. It's when our hearts will then be connected to the words, Lord, you are good. Lord, you are great. You are our redeemer, our savior. God, you are our strength. You are our portion. You are our everything. The glory of God and the worship of God goes hand in hand in being satisfied by him and in him. Worship is. God is at the center and God is calling us to be satisfied in him. I want us to to take a moment right now to begin to reflect on on what the Lord might be speaking to you. Allow God to, to cover you with his love this morning. Allow him to speak to you in a way that you will hear. And let him draw you deeper into the heart of the child, the heart of the father, uh, deeper into the heart of worship.